unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. This evening, I am going to preach a sermon entitled, Living in the Perfection of God. Living in the perfection of God or the perfections of God. So ultimately, the question is, usually, is it possible to live a perfect life in Christ Jesus? Is it possible to live a perfect Christian life? Is it possible to have perfection in your life? Many people ask that question. And many of us wonder because of the way we see in the world. And this is the answer. Yes, it is possible to be perfected to live a perfect life in Christ Jesus. You see, the only challenge that we have is that we have lived a life of being taught, not as the Word of God says, but as it suits the people in the revelation that they see God. And because many of these things that have been taught to us, we can relate with personal experiences. Many of us have come to the acceptation that life cannot be perfect, that we cannot live perfect in God, which is a pure lie. It's almost as though if you have lived under deception, that is in the teaching for so long, the first time you hear the good news, you start to doubt it, not because it is not true, but because it is too good to be true. Are you following what I'm saying? But you see, Aries tell people that let God be true and every man a wife a liar. I have made up my mind from the time I saw the things that I have seen in Christ, regardless of how contradictory, regardless of how disagreeable, regardless of how contrary a reality of truth might be, I have chosen to teach it, even when everybody else won't teach it. Because in my personal consecrations with the Lord, there are things that he warned me about and promised to show me. And he said, but many of these things will be very contrary to the things that you have learned. And I had to accept in my heart that sometimes I might sound contradictory to what many of you have heard, but that's okay. It's the truth that we know that makes us free. Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 48th verse, he says, you therefore must be perfect. If you read the Amplified Version, he says, you therefore must be perfect, growing into complete maturity of godliness in what? In mind and what? Character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity as your heavenly father is perfect. Ha! Huh. You see, somebody says, oh, you know, nobody's perfect in the flesh. Add that sentence. 
in the flesh. Nobody's perfect in the what? In the flesh. And that's true. But when it gets to our realities in the new birth experience, when it comes to the conversion that we have received through the way of salvation, the Bible says you must be perfect. Therefore, you must be perfect. Now, would you think that God would tell you to be what he knows you cannot be? Would he put you to a scale he knows that you can never measure up? Will he set you on a course that he knows you can never run? Can he inspire you to do something that he knows that you don't have the innate ability to do? No, that is not God. So when he says that you should be perfect, you must be perfect. That's an underlying command. Growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character because that's perfection. Perfection is growing into complete maturity of godliness in what? in mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity, as your heavenly father is perfect. So when we're talking about virtue and integrity, we're not talking about what the world judges as virtue and integrity. Virtue and integrity is reaching the full maturity of the mind of godliness, the very mind that God the father has, and carrying the very character with which your father has. That is perfection. That is maturity. And the Bible says, you must be perfect. That means it is possible to live a perfect life. It is possible to be attuned totally to the mind of God and his character. To think exactly the way God thinks. To respond to circumstances exactly the way God responds to them. To deal with issues the way God deals with them. And do you think God would command you to live according to his character without the spirit of vindication as a way to justify the command that he has set to a due. Oh, simpler English. If he has said, live according to my character, do you think he would tell you to do and not give you the power and create the right atmosphere for you to live his character? That is not God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So it is possible for us to live perfect in God. What does that look like? Why don't we live a perfect life? I'll tell you why. Because at the beginning of our existence, the creation of Adam and Eve, the mind that Adam and Eve had, the mindset that they had before the fall, and the mindset that they acquire after the fall are two different minds. They interpret life differently. One time I told people, did you know that before the fall, Adam and Eve were never conscious of lack? Because there was never any time in the Garden of Eden there was lack. Do you realize that the trees that carried fruit, carried fruit all year? They were not seasonal. And to live in the seasons of the earth is to live in the realm of fallen language and thought. That is why the reality of maturity will teach you to live in your season and not the seasons of the world. It will teach you to actually create seasons within the seasons of time. The Bible didn't say that there was a season where mangoes were growing and they were not growing. The Bible didn't say that there was a season where the fruits were on the tree and there was a season where they were not. In Eden, trees carried fruit the whole year. They carried fruit every day. The Bible says that water came from the ground and used to water these trees. Everything that man needed in the garden was available when he needed it. Adam and Eve were never conscious that a man can exist lacking anything. 
Can you imagine that kind of world? Can you imagine what it's like to walk every day bearing that kind of conscience? And then man falls. And then they are open to the knowledge of good and what? Evil. Good and bad. And it's within them that the consciousnesses are changed. They are shifted to think from fallen thought. And the Bible says creation against itself was held in the very bondage. And then trees and all these kinds of things were subject to live according to certain timings because of fallen nature. Why? Because that's when corruption came. Remember, before corruption came into the world, when a mango was on a tree, it would not rot. And because it cannot rot, therefore it cannot fall off. And because it cannot fall off, it is ever available for the man to eat. But because corruption has come, all these mangoes grow to a certain season and they're going to fall off. And when they fall off now, they need to go through a process against themselves. Whereas this creation against itself was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. You see what I'm saying? Creation does not like it. A mango tree does not like it when sometimes it's bare and it carries no mangoes. It's subject to that corruption. Now imagine a world where everything that was created to function as it should function was functioning consistently, uninterrupted, 365 days a year, available for a man's provision. What manner of consciousness would that man carry? Somebody shout hallelujah. Did you not read that the earth was made to the profit of men? This earth was created to advantage you. The earth was never made to turn against you. That's a curse. That's a fallen nature. That's why when Cain kills Abel, the Bible says God told him, the land shall not yield forth its strength to you. It shall not yield forth its strength to you. And God told him he shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth because the world will not yield its strength. God created man to have dominion over everything that we see in the earth and the earth equally subject to providing for man. Somebody shout hallelujah. You should not be walking in this earth and the world is not able to respond to you. That is why Jesus curses that tree that he walks to and he finds no what? No fruit and he cast it. Why? Because he's not fallen. It should not treat him like a fallen man. The Bible says this man knew no sin. Who has understood what I just said? The Bible says he knew no sin. And because he knew no sin, how would this tree treat him like a fallen man? For the Bible says he found no what? No fruit, because it was not what? It was not its season to bring forth. And Jesus says, uh-uh, you're dealing with me like you're dealing with a fallen man. No man shall eat from thee from today henceforth. And the Bible says, and that tree dried immediately. Why? Because it did not recognize who Jesus was. Or if it did, it refused to treat him for who he was. May everything, now I'm saying it as a man of God, may everything that opposes itself against your ways which are in Christ, according to the inheritances and promise he has given you. Be broken and disproved before your eyes to teach the rest of the things that exist. But every time you turn to any for need, you shall be provided for. Who has understood it? That is why when Paul is speaking in Romans, chapter 12, verses 2, he tells us the issue is not that I cannot make you perfect and create a perfect world for you. The issue is that you look 
at God from the lens of an imperfect world. That is why it tells you, if you read the Amplified, be not conformed to this world. Do not pattern your thought according to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. Why? Because the world is imperfect and it's full of imperfections. And that's where you live. But it's no excuse that because the world is imperfect, therefore you cannot live a life that is perfect in God. But you cannot live a life that is fulfilled in God, regardless of what is happening in the world. God has called you different. He said, even though you are in this world, you are not of what? This world. Somebody shout amen. So he tells you, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitudes, its new ideals and its new attitudes. You see, the mind of God and his character. Be changed, be renewed by the reading of the word. And when you carry that new attitude or those new ideals, the Bible says you may be able to prove for yourself what is what? Good and what? Acceptable and the perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. You can never walk into the place of perfection without renewing your mind to refuse to see things as the world sees them and start to see things the way God sees them and the way he has called you to see them and respond to them, carry the right ideals, carry the right attitude, carry the right mind and the right character and response to those things in the world. Wow! He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, his son, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14. He tells him, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. He tells him, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ. They are able to make you wise unto salvation, unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ. And he says, and all scripture... Everything you have been reading, everything you read in your Bible is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished and do all good works. That means that the man of God, you who is listening to me, you'll be furnished for anything. In other words, you'll have all spiritual ammunition to fix anything. You'll have all divine potential to change anything. You'll have all divine ability to be able to face anything and know that you will win. And nothing shall lay its charge on you, has a vote on your destiny or future, if it is contrary to what God has said on your life or promised for an inheritance. He says that the man of God might be perfect, comma, thoroughly furnished and to all good works that you'll have everything you need to live perfect. If your body is not perfect, you're furnished to perfect it. If your finances are not perfect, you are furnished to perfect them. If your marriage is not fixed, you are furnished enough to fix it. If your ministry is struggling, you are furnished enough to fix it. If your career is dwindling, you are furnished enough to fix it. That's living a perfect life, that the man of God might be perfect. Furnished unto all good works. So it tells you the very reason why you come to church and listen to the words that we teach you every day 
to the end is that we might take you to that maturity, that you might carry the right mind and character towards everything that you know and seen, the world that is seen and the world that is unseen, the very character of God, the very mind of God, that you'll be furnished and to all good work or works. That's what he's told Timothy all this while to take him to that end, that I will rebuke you, I will instruct you, in righteousness, I will correct you. I will exhort you. I will do whatever I have to do. But to the end, whatever is going to be done is to get you perfect, to furnish you enough to be ready for anything that will ever come. To a place where regardless of what comes in your life, you can actually say it is well. Not because the song sings it or somebody wrote it, but because you actually know what to do. Oh! Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. That's perfection. That's perfection. I realize a mystery that I'm going to share with you. When you study Hebrew as a language, taken many years, many, many years studying Hebrew as a language, and I realized that the divine oracle that speaks through the Hebrew tongue knows no time. In other words, this sacred language is timeless. It does not subject the realities of divine instruction, mandate, assignment, purpose against time. Because human time, chronos, is inferior to eternal realms. Eternity is not subject to the years like you see them, to the days and months of your life like you see them. And there is nothing in the realm of the eternal that cannot change. Even time can change according to how you know it. Because the eternal world is not subject to time. Neither is the Hebrew language. One day I shared with you a couple of years ago, that for example, when the Hebrew is speaking, the language, it does not speak in the future. It does not have future tenses. Although there are tenses that are borrowed sometimes in trying to translate to make meaning concerning what God is trying to say, relating to the circumstances where people are at within that tremor given by God. But not necessarily that it is within the mind of God to put time or to subject time to his instruction when he's speaking to man. Let me help you understand what this means. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow are same with God. Are you following what I'm saying? God is not going to be shocked what you're going to do next week. You're not going to shock heaven in what's going to happen because God himself knows the beginning from the end and he knows the end from the beginning. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He exists in all your tenses as a reality. But then because of this very language I'm trying to tell you, I have studied and realized that it divides the worlds. When the Bible says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen we're not made of things which do appear. It divides the world into two tenses of interpretation. That is, 
the imperfect tense and the perfect tense. Now, when we're talking about the imperfect tense, what do we mean? The incomplete things, the unfinished things, the things that are not yet done fully, the unripe things. That's what we call the imperfect world. And the world that you live in is a world of incomplete things. It is a world of imperfect things. It is a world of unfinished things. It's a world of imperfections. And that is why you live every day looking to the future to perfect what is imperfect. This man who is in hospital that is sick is hoping that tomorrow morning he will be better. As a man living another day to find perfection in the next day because the world he's living in presently is imperfection. Are you following what I'm saying? The world is imperfect. It's a world of incomplete things. And when you study the sacred tongue, God does not speak of incomplete things, neither does he speak to incomplete things when he's instructing. He speaks to perfect things and he speaks of perfect things. That language speaks only from the realm of what is complete. It speaks only from what is finished. It speaks only from what is perfect. That's how it communicates to us. Jesus, the one you see, who was slain, crucified. The Bible says that behold the Lamb of God, which was crucified before the foundations of the world. Oh, that before Jesus comes in the flesh and then he leaves as a Nazarene, walks in Galilee, in Jerusalem, and then he's crucified. The man of Revelation goes into Revelation 13 verses 8 and says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So what you see happening in the time of Jesus under the crucifixion as a progressive experience as men live within their time, as things in their own imperfection and incompleteness were unraveling before their eyes, according to the man of Revelation, he realized that actually this happened before the foundation of the world. It was a complete work. Before Jesus came on the earth, he was already dead, crucified, and resurrected. Who has understood what I just said? That is why when Isaiah walks in the very realm, he cannot see the future tense. He cannot see the future experience. He cannot see it as an imperfect work. He sees it as a perfect work. He sees it as a finished work. He says by his stripes, he says he was, he was, not he would be, not he could be, not he may be. He says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was wounded. Much as it's going to happen one day, the eyes of the prophetic oracle do not see it as something coming to pass. It sees it as something that has already happened. Why? Because God speaks in the perfect. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven. Oh, some people are starting to connect where I'm going. I know you're asking why is it going on. No, no, no. I think you're starting to get it. So, when he says, do not be conformed to this world, 
Do not be conformed. Do not give in. Do not yield and fashion yourself and adapt to its external superficial customs. It is because everything in the world looks imperfect and incomplete. And he says, when you read the word and understand how I speak, you will realize that everything by me is perfect. The present, the future, and the past are same with this language. They are all perfectly fulfilled according to the word. That's why you must understand this thing called faith. You must understand this thing called faith. It's not just this thing that gets you a job and a car. It's the experience of a perfect world. That's faith. It's the experience of a perfect world. That's faith. It's the experience, I say again, of a perfect world. James chapter 3 verses 2, if you read the Amplified Version, he said, For we all often stumble and fall and offend in many things. And if anyone does not offend in speech, neither says the wrong things. The Bible says he is a fully developed character. You remember the other character of God? And a perfect man able to control his whole body and curb his entire nature. Ho, ho, ho. He says that we might offend in many things. You might offend anything. But if you do not offend in speech, if you learn not to speak the wrong things, the Bible says not only will you be fully developed in character and a perfect man, but you'll also be able to control your whole body and curb your entire nature. Now, let me go to the layman language and, and, and pick some of you. In the imperfect world, you're looking for a job. In the perfect world, you have a job. Not you will get a job. Not you might get a job. Not you could get a job. You have a job. In the imperfect world, you've invested money and failed to see your business grow. You're hoping, throwing that in a future tense, for your business to grow. In the perfect world, your business grew. In the imperfect world, you're still believing God for a promotion. In the perfect world, you're actually running your own conglomerate. Your company is thriving. In the imperfect world, you're trying to have children. In the perfect world, your children have names. In the imperfect world, you are trying to build a successful ministry, but your church is struggling. In the perfect world, you have one of the most thriving churches on the face of the earth. In the imperfect world, you just walk to a doctor and they say that you are hypertensive or you're diabetic or you have this thing that you got from your cousin and uncle and it's been eating you up, you're on drugs every night. That's in the imperfect world. In the perfect world, you are not sick. You are not weak. Nothing is wrong with you. And Matthew 5 tells you, you are to be perfect. You must be perfect. He did not say you should or may. He said you must be perfect. Growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity as your heavenly father is perfect. 
God lives here. He lives in the perfect world. He is the God of perfect things. My God shall perfect that which concerns me. He lives here. And he tells you, you must be perfect. You must grow up enough to set your mind in a perfect world. Not to think, but to set your mind. What does that mean? It means, for example, that if God has said that you were healed, you must grow up enough never to ever think sick. That is not a realm of feeling. That's a realm of maturity. Slap somebody and tell them they're talking about us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Something is sinking. What if you woke up and your body's sick? Where will your mind be? And he says we might offend in many things. But if a man does not offend in speech, that man, the Bible says, is a perfect man. He is able to bridle the whole body and curb his entire nature. Before you even speak, let's first go to this mind. If he says that you must have a perfect mind concerning his will, you can never walk to a doctor and they diagnose you with a disease and your mind accepts it. Do you know why some of you are quiet? You have breastfed from the world's mindset. You have been corrupted by how the world interprets life. You're so subject to the science of this world that you are not able to grasp what God is trying to tell us. When he says, be perfect like your father in heaven. Have you ever heard that God got COVID? You're not fallen because it entered your body. You're fallen if your mind recognized it. Oh, look at them eyes looking at me like what this guy said. Exactly what I am saying. He is held in perfect peace. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He is held in perfect peace. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He is held. Apostle, you don't know what I'm talking about. I know what you are talking about. But at that point when you could not breathe, that's why you were supposed to say, I can breathe. I can breathe. I can breathe. Who understands what I'm saying? I'm not saying that I fault you for feeling that way. I fault you that your mind accepted it and even said, it seems I'm going to die. Ah, oh, it seems I'm going to die. Ah, oh, oh. your every word you're speaking, you're planting seed. Your mind is not agreeable to godliness. Your character is not agreeable to godliness. Even when you have the last breath in you and you can walk like this, say, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I am healthy. That's a mind whose mind and character is conformed to maturity in God, with God, be perfect. Hey, there's somebody trying to give their children names because they told them when you do, you'll get pregnant. And there's somebody who has names for their children because they know they're already there. <laughs> one is imperfect. Another one is perfect. They're all trying to do an act of faith. But one does it from one realm of interpretation and another one does it from an imperfect world. 
So do you have that Mercedes on your wall? Because they told you when you put it there, you will get it in perfection. You have spoken in a future tense. Every time you put it in the future, it becomes imperfect. Slap somebody and tell them, leave with a godly mind. Has he not said that he has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness? Has he not said that he has blessed you? He has, not he will. He has, not he might. He has, not he could. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has given, not will give, not might give. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Whether Paul or Apollos, whether things present or things to come. He says, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Who is understanding what I'm saying? If you put it on the wall, it will come. That's an imperfect world. Put it on the wall because you have it. And then somebody puts it and says, that's my dream. No, that's my dream. That's the cathedral you are going to build. You have offended. Design it and tell them this is the cathedral. We have built the God that calls the living from the dead and speaks of the things that be not as though they are, they are, they are, not they will be, they are, not they might be, they are, not they could be, they are. I cannot be poor. Oh, I cannot be poor. I don't fall sick. I cannot fall sick. Oh, glory. I cannot get this. I don't get this. It's not mine. It cannot be mine. No, it is not mine. No. Yeah. Bible says that the kingdom of God suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. Somebody shout, I'm a warrior. You stand here and start fighting. We can't sink. We are floating already. How can we sink when we are floating already? We are the head and not the tail. Hey! You must be perfect. You must carry a perfect mind. Hey, okay. Let's even talk about that character. How does a rich man behave? Listen, I gave it some time for it to sink. Let's just say you stole 10 million from God. You went to heaven and stole 10 million. What would God do? She took it. Oh, she did. <laughs> oh, poor her. I forgive her. What would an imperfect man do? You'll give me my money. <laughs> you will give me my money. Some of you even have there's something in Uganda we call women money. It's usually little. They tie it somewhere. They hide it from their husbands. Just in case these guys break their hearts. They might have saved enough to buy themselves a cheap house somewhere. She has already created the world of being divorced. 
And then she asks herself why her house is on fire. Perfect. Character. Godly character. In how you love the saints. Godly character. In how you forgive. Godly character. In how... Otherwise, I know Christians who enter hotels and take off shoes because they don't deserve to be there. You find a person in an expensive hotel and they're walking like this. They even fear to walk on the carpet. If they break anything, they'll take everything they have. Hey, shout glory! Do you realize how wrong you've been thinking? Your attitudes about life, your ideals about life. Have you ever imagined what it's like to live in a world of finished things? To have it all and know that you have it. But even when in your physical realm it's not there, you plan as one with it. One time I preached a sermon on faith and a young man went to a petrol station and bought brake fluid and he put it in his house and said, this is for my car. Shortly after that, this young man bought his first car. Let me tell you why. Because he did not go to that petrol station to try to provoke the world that brings cars. He went to that petrol station because he was convinced that he had a car and it needed brake fluid. Slap somebody and tell him, wake up! Hey, hey, glory to God! You must be perfect. You're not a survivor in this world. Oh, Apostle, I've tried, I've tried. You're speaking from here. You understand life from here. Listen, we who live here don't try. Somebody writes an email and says, Apostle, I have tithed, I've done everything, I've given everything, but I still don't see change in my life. I know why you're living here. You're subjecting change to what you can see. And that's unbelief. Apostle, I've done this, I've done that, I did everything, but why is it that I'm the one who is failing? Who told you you're naked? Adam, who told you that you are naked? Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You must be perfect as your father is perfect. The fact that you could think that it's not working, the fact that you'd confess that it's not working, the fact that you'd carry the attitude that it's not working, the fact that you'd even be sad on your bed that it's not working, that's the exact reason of proof that you're actually living in an imperfect tense. Why me, Lord? <laughs> These are people who think here. Those of us who are here don't think that way. It does not mean that things don't happen sometimes. But the Bible says we know that all things work together for the good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. We know, we say nay. 
say, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We say thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph and makes manifest the servant of His knowledge by us in every place. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus and to what? Good works for which we were preordained, ordained before the world that we might walk in those things. We were created unto good works. We were created to live a good life. There's some people say, you know, we have this new message in the world. And it's a message of prosperity. And it says that, you know, you're not going to live a sad life and you're not going to fall sick and you're going to be rich all your life. And they're preaching that in the world. And so people are not realistic. So when they go through such trials and temptations, they don't know what to do because they're stuck. Their theology quite does not fit their experiences. Take away your experiences. Let God be true and every man a liar. It's not a prosperity gospel. No. I don't believe I'm a prosperity gospel preacher. I believe I'm a preacher of the good news. <laughs> Good news, good news. He says, I must be perfect. What do you expect? But you know, sometimes you're gonna wake up and you're gonna feel sick. So what? You're gonna need a doctor. So what? Does that change what Jesus did for me? Come on, I want you to shake somebody and tell them, live big for God. Stop sparing. Live big for God. Build big for God. Dream big for God. Work hard for God. Establish great stuff for God. He says, occupy until I come. What does that mean? That it doesn't matter how much you occupy. It matters that you don't. It matters that you don't, but it doesn't matter how much you occupy. That is why I told people by the time we leave this world, whether we shall go in a whirlwind, like Elijah, oh, he will come back for us. By the time we're done in this world, they'll say, those guys knew God. They did big stuff for God. The lamb walked, the blind saw, the deaf heard, the dumb spoke, the dead were raised. They changed nations, they shook cities, they transformed communities. Tell your neighbor they are talking about me. And then after speaking all that, they sing the other song. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my Lord cannot do. Ba, ba, ba. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean there's nothing he cannot do? When you can compromise yourself to accept less because it agrees with your circumstances and because quite the theology that you carry does not reconcile with truth. You choose to design your own theology because it's the only way to stay profitable where you must. And many of our people who think that were usually inflated egos, God should humble some of us. Some of you don't know how much pride it takes to stay poor. Can I justify it? When the Bible says, for we know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we know of his grace, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, 
that you through his poverty might be rich. What has Jesus done? What has he made you? What has he made you? What did it take him to make you rich? He took your poverty and gave you his word, his wealth. It takes so much pride to refuse his wealth. <laughs> Who has understood what I just said? It takes so much pride to refuse his wealth and say, ah, me, I can step poor as long as I have Jesus. Jesus. So you mean Abraham didn't have God? Uh -uh, Solomon did not have God. David did not have God because they were rich men. No, it has nothing, no bearing to do with righteousness. Because the hell I know many men who are poor and very wicked. Somebody said, oh, wealth doesn't mean righteousness. So does poverty. So does poverty. So does poverty. Come on, be perfect. You must be perfect. As your father in heaven is perfect. Is God poor? I cannot be poor. And don't get me wrong, we don't use that money to show off Maseratis and what, no. We use that money to build a kingdom, to feed the orphan, to feed the widow. Yes, we use it for that, to expand the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God needs those finances and we are making money for the kingdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Why does the world have money to do everything wicked and the church should lack money to win souls? That's not our portion. No, God should make you so wealthy that hundreds of millions of people will come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior through what He's doing through you. Occupy until I come. He says, stretch your tent. Stretch it far. And He asks you that as you're stretching it, do not hesitate, do not spare. Don't spare in stretching. Read it, read it. Enlarge the place of your word. And let them what? Stretch forth the curtains of thine word. And then he says, spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your sticks. Spare not. Take everything over to the glory of the Father. Ah, me. I ask God not to give me too much to forget him. Do you realize that that prayer was made of a fallen man? It was not the prayer of a new creature. This is Solomonic wisdom, not Messianic. Otherwise, Jesus would not have given us his wealth if he knew we would fall. Who has understood it? Imagine, he got of his own wealth. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the guy who is saying it in Proverbs was the richest man in his day. Nay, Solomon. And then you find this person in a one-room house saying, don't give me too much wealth for me to forget you. <laughs> oh, be delivered. Be delivered. Be delivered. When a man has seen God, they cannot forget God for anything. And that nature is a fallen one, by the way. You're a new creation. Behold, the old is past and now the new. And all things are of God. That means you're not like Solomon. You're not like Solomon. You can't marry a thousand women. You can't. You can't have a thousand women. You're not like Solomon. In his wisdom, as Solomonic, we are in messianic wisdom. We have the understanding of things. 
And surely when it comes, we'll know what to do for the kingdom. So it is with your health. Do not compromise. Don't spare. Don't spare. Agree with God to live so healthy and tune your mind there. Tune your attitude there. Develop a character of healthy men. Speak like a healthy person. You find people say, ah, I have a back. What do you mean? I have a back of an eight-year-old. What do you mean? No wonder. No wonder. Do you know lately you find people who are 50, they are 40, and they have diseases of 90-year-olds? Do you know today you find 25-year-old kids that cannot run a kilometer? 15-year-old kids that cannot run 100 meters. They are 15, but they can <laughs> By the time they are 100, they're even fainting. <laughs> 15. We must preach the gospel. Somebody shout hallelujah. We must preach the gospel. You literally wake up and you feel so healthy. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, am I 12? Am I 10? Because I'm feeling healthy. Why? The mind is here. The character is here. The attitude is here. Not, ah, uh, you know my bones now. Uh -huh. Abozo, take me slowly. What do you mean? One time we had gone to play basketball and after that there was a group of guys. I don't know why they call themselves Waze. How can you call yourself Waze? Waze meaning old man. How can you call yourself an old man? And so we told these guys, we challenged them. And then one guy says, ah, man, our bones can't run with you. I understood what he meant. He was unfinished. <laughs> May I prophesy upon your life? And even at 60, 70, you'll be healthy. Come on, somebody. You'll be running with your grandchildren. Come on. Refuse to be sick. The Bible says he renews your youth. Buy some sneakers and jog around and say, I'm healthy. I am going somewhere. Not now. And then as you're passing, some people say, eee, look at that woman, honestly. No, they are the fallen ones, not you. You know, some of you now are compromising. You're finding yourself easy to fit with people who are fallen. Ha -ha. They don't see that's their problem, not yours. Keep on moving. Even if you're 70, tell them, I'm expecting my firstborn. Who do you call yourself? Where I come from? Women at 90 give birth. I don't know who I'm talking to. See, you menopause, menopause to hell. Even at 70, you'll still be fertile. If you want to carry a child, you just say, I'm going to carry one. For my old age, I'm bored. Come on, somebody. He satisfies you with long life. It's a satisfaction. It's not a struggle through. If you want to learn driving at 65, knock yourself out. If you want to learn a bicycle at 70, do. For I can do all things through Christ. And some people think I'm joking. I am not. You're the one who is joking. Me, I'm not. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's not yet over. I'm not yet out. I've not yet just begun. I told people Fenera has not yet begun and they don't seem to understand it. No, these are just rumblings. These are just rumblings. 
We've not yet begun. When we begin, the world will know. Because when I get a vision of how to begin, I realize this is not the beginning. These are just ramblings, just things that are trying to shake up, saying, go, 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 go. We're almost taking off. Somebody shout glory to God. That's a perfect mind. That's a perfect mind. That's a perfect character. I'm not conscious of sickness. I'm not conscious of lack. I'm not conscious of trouble. I refuse to be conscious. Even when my head tries to come this side, I find myself taking myself back because I can't stay there. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when we talk about the violent, take it by force. I'm not talking about by fire, by force, by rain, by sunshine. No, because you might be praying from here. Violence, taking it by force is to say, I refuse to live an imperfect narrative. I choose to live in the perfection that my Father has given me. And when you receive that, when you receive that, you'll start sounding braggadocious. People will start instigating pride on you. You'll start talking like a spoiled kid. But the Bible says, where is our boasting? Seven faith. The moment you start to believe, Mama, or Jaquewan, I'm telling you, the moment you learn faith, you'll find yourself boasting. By the special grace of God, um, we are a blessed family. <laughs> By the special grace of God, He made me wealthy early and. Uh, I feel sorry for people who don't know these realities. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. And listen so good. When you tame your mind and character to live here, it starts to manifest. But live around folk who live here. I don't know where we shall get Isukuru fees. This time shall we pay for electricity? Hey, we left so long ago. The moment they start talking, take a phone call. Remember that there's somebody you were supposed to call and you had a meeting, you had to go to Vambibosi. Fuel, fuel, so what? So what? I told Fanaro whether fuel is one million shillings. I'll drive my car. What are you talking about? Why? Because that money for my car will be available. Is available must be available. Now, do you know how many people are like, hmm, look at him, listen to that pride. Listen. It's L, listen. It's not even pride. It's truth. Well, the properties go up to $4 million. Yours is in Uganda. And you will buy it. Whether cars go to millions of dollars, ours we shall drive. Whether school fees cost to a billion shillings, my child will go to school. Settled here. Why? Why? Because God cannot lack fuel. God cannot lack fees.
Tell your neighbor, stop taking part in conversations of imperfect worlds. If you're contributing, don't use your name. If you're contributing conversations in imperfect world, you say, eh, people are suffering with fuel. I see people are parking cars. That's the right conversation. But don't say, do you know how long my car's been? Oh. Somebody shout hallelujah. My world is perfect. My days are perfect. My years are perfect. My body is perfect. My ministry is perfect. My vision is perfect. My family is perfect. You're going to take some time and repent of your imperfect tenses. Listen, God is saying, grow up. Grow up. Stop whining, grow up. Stop complaining, grow up. Stop murmuring, grow up. Stop blaming everyone for what they did to you, grow up. Nobody's responsible for your world. Stop blaming people and situations. Some of you, this government, let me tell you. I don't care who is president. I don't care. And that's the truth. I don't care who leads this world. I know who is in me. We see a man called Cyrus. He comes and he's favorable. He's helping the children of Israel. Zerubbabel and the team is supporting them in the rebuilding of the temple. And then they rebuild the temple. And as they're somewhere, Cyrus goes and Darius comes in. And Darius is against them building the temple. And the children of Israel stopped building the temple. Because a ruthless ruler, a tyrant had come. And God comes through the prophet Haggai and tells him folk, whether it's Darius as king or anything else, the fact that you began to build this thing, it must move. Do you know the moral of that story? Whether the one who used to give you fees still sends it or does not send it, you will study. Whether your boss favors you or does not favor you, it is not by power, nor by might, but by his spirit, said the Lord. Whether we have the worst president or the best, I don't care. I must succeed in this life. Because I'm not subject to the superficial customs of this world. God said, I shall make you a nation. I'm my own nation. Somebody shout hallelujah. Did he not say I shall make thee a great nation? You must know what was given us. Whether the economy is advantageous to you or it's not advantageous. You must progress. I told people whether COVID had lockdown or not, Fanero must continue growing. And even in lockdown, Fanero continued growing because we are not subject to COVID. Somebody shout hallelujah. Raise your voice and start to speak to God.
This is my father's word And to my listening ears Oh, nature sings and rhymes The cross of grief 
purposes are you will not be broken you will not be forsaken you will not regress you will not fail I decree and I declare upon every man at the sound of my voice that you are perfect as your father in heaven your body is perfect your marriage is perfect you grow into that reality. And as that reality continues to come, everything around you will change and agree with the word of God in Jesus' name. Give him a mighty heart of praise. Clap like you know what God has done. Stop thinking that it's not working because it's the very thought that's causing it not to work. Stop acting like you're poor because it's the very reason why you have stayed poor. Stop responding to life like you're rejected. Some of you say, oh, I have a spirit of rejection. You don't have a spirit of rejection. It's the thought that you have that spirit that actually you're rejected. In some of those instances, you thought you were rejected. Actually, God was saving you. But you did not know. I cannot be rejected. 
I know the plans that the Lord has towards me. Plans of peace. To make me prosper, not to harm me. To give me a future and hope. That expected end. We believe the message. We believe the message. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. I have heard your message tonight and I make up my mind to receive you in my heart because I believe that you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.